Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. You have one message. First message. Hey, Luke. It's Aaron again with your Halloween joke of the week. It's a vampire joke, and it's a good one. (laughs) Oh, I forgot it. Hang on. Uh, The joke goes, what is a vampire's favorite fruit? Nectarines. Oh, happy Halloween. Message erased. No remaining messages. From Milieu Media Group, this is 30 Pop. A weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Braun. This is Season 3, Episode 36, Prodigies, Premieres, and Patriarchy. Today we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, October 19th, 1991. Hello dear friends and welcome once again to 30 Pop. As we inch ever closer to Halloween, the holiday season, and the end of our week-by-week recap of 1991, I couldn't be happier to have you with me for a little more reminiscing. Just to motivate you to stick around for a while, let me just share... I've spent the last few weeks updating the spreadsheet that I use to keep track of what's coming up on this show in preparation for our look back at 1992 next year. And full disclosure, I've gone ahead and pretty much mapped out the entire rest of the decade. But next year is going to be, how do I put this? Um, Amazing. Amazing. I could not be more excited. But not so excited that I'm willing to skip past all the goodness we still have this year. So let's get into it. The number one album in the country this week in 1991, for the second time, albeit not consecutive, was Rope in the Wind by the king of 90s country, Garth Brooks. As I mentioned a couple episodes back, this was one of an impressive nine Brooks albums to achieve diamond certification, selling more than 10 million copies. Altogether, across his entire discography, he sold nearly 160 million albums in the U.S. alone, putting him in second place behind only the Beatles for most albums sold in the United States. This time around, he'll hold that number one spot for several weeks in a row, so I'm sure we'll come back to him a lot over the next couple months. The number one song in the country 30 years ago this week, for the second of three back-to-back weeks, belonged to pop diva Mariah Carey with Emotions. And also for the second straight week, Ricky Van Shelton topped the hot country chart with Keeping It Between the Lines. We had a new number one song on the hot R&B and hip-hop chart, though. One that sounds vaguely familiar, but that I definitely don't remember well. Karen White with Romantic. It's 
odd that this song and Karen White in general aren't more familiar to me. She was actually a pretty major star in the late 80s and early 90s. She had multiple number one singles, a platinum certification for her eponymous 1988 debut album, Grammy nominations, the whole deal. But again, I only vaguely remember this song, if at all, and it was her most successful release by a long shot. I do remember the number one song on the Hot Rap chart from this week in 1991, though. In fact, I remember it very well. A song that Rolling Stone magazine ranked as the fifth greatest rap song of all time back in 2012. Mind Playing Tricks on Me by Houston-based rap trio Ghetto Boys. This year, Halloween fell on a weekend. Me and Ghetto Boys are trick-or-treating. Robbing little kids for bags. Till an old man got behind our ass. So we speeded up the pace. Took a look back, and he was right before our face. Then I felt just like a fiend. It wasn't even close to Halloween. My mind is playing tricks on me. This was Ghetto Boys' best-known song by far, and the lead single off their Rap-A-Lot Records album, We Can't Be Stopped, which had released a few months earlier. The album was making waves in the developing gangsta rap genre in part because of its cover, which featured a picture of group member Bushwick Bill on a gurney wearing a hospital gown and talking on an old-school cell phone just days after accidentally shooting himself while fighting with his girlfriend and losing his right eye with groupmates Scarface and Willie D on either side of the bed, pushing him through the halls of a hospital. The wound is exposed and visible in the album cover, and the threesome look completely unfazed by it. A perfect depiction of the album's title. New to music store shelves this week in 1991 was the debut EP from heavy metal band Ugly Kid Joe, entitled As Ugly As They Want To Be, spoofing two live crews as nasty as they want to be. This was notable for being the first ever multi-platinum certified EP, tied largely to the success of its lead single and the band's biggest song, Everything About You. And I get sick when I'm around, I can't stand to be around, I hate everything about you, everything about you. The success of this song, this EP, and this band's subsequent full-length debut album would really come in 1992 when the tune was featured in the soundtrack for the Mike Myers, Dana Carvey comedy classic, Wayne's World, which I'm very excited to cover on this show. Also released on October 15, 1991, was the fifth studio album from UK-based electro-pop duo Erasure, entitled Chorus. It was their third straight album to reach the number one spot in the UK, despite fairly mediocre initial reviews from critics. Probably the greatest recognition it received was in 1999, when critic Neil Raggett ranked it at number 45 on his list of the top 136 or so albums of the 90s. A high honor indeed. Moving on. In television this week, the Fox sketch comedy series in Living Color, which I loved, had a couple new faces on for the first time. 
Faces which have since become unbelievably familiar globally. The faces of a couple actors slash singers who have since racked up a number of Grammys and Oscars between them, not to mention literally hundreds of other awards and a combined net worth of over half a billion dollars. New to the show's dance crew, the Fly Girls, was J-Lo herself, Jennifer Lopez. And new to the main cast was the one and only Jamie Foxx, each of whom made a significant mark on the show. If you were watching the news at all this week in 1991, as I've mentioned a few times over the last few weeks, you were undoubtedly hearing all about the 52 to 48 vote in favor of confirming Supreme Court Justice nominee Clarence Thomas. This despite the damning and heartbreakingly disregarded testimony from Professor Anita Hill about the consistent pattern of sexual harassment and impropriety she endured while working alongside Thomas in earlier years. And as I've mentioned multiple times, if you, like me, weren't old enough to really understand what was happening, or if you just haven't thought about it in a while, I would highly recommend you check out the podcast Because of Anita, which released a few weeks back from the fine folks at Pineapple Street and Meteor. It's a four-episode examination of the impact that particular cultural moment has had on the last 30 years of American history. Really, give it a listen. In Hollywood this week, we had a number of new movies premiering, only one of which I have any real nostalgia around, which I'll save for last. First up was the directorial debut for actress Jodie Foster, who also starred in the film, the PG-rated family drama Little Man Tate. All right, let's all be good citizens and be very, very quiet for Brad. Death. There stands death, a bluish distillate in a cup without a saucer. Such a strange place to find a cup, standing on the back of a hand. The power of the mind. Fred, what's the cube root of 3,796,466? 156. The power of the heart. Let's face it, you're the best thing that ever happened to me. The protective instinct. Fred, what the hell do you think you're doing, huh? The need to grow. Right now, your son is starving for stimulation and challenge. wants to be a normal, happy little kid. Well, he's not normal. Thank God. If anything happens to him, I'll kill you. Ah! In a universe of knowledge... My mother's dead. ...exists a world of confusion. It's not the size of a guy's IQ that matters. It's how he uses it. This is the story of a little love, a little inspiration... Brad. ...and a little... genius. This movie did really well at the box office relative to its minuscule $10 million budget, grossing more than two and a half times that amount all said and done. Critics were quick to point out as well the similarities between the child prodigy upon whom the film centers and Jodie Foster's own childhood reputation as a prodigy, and similarly with fellow prodigious cast member Harry Connick Jr., Speaking of minuscule budgets, though, another film released this weekend in 1991 with an even smaller budget, but proportionate return. Produced on a budget of just $2.5 million, the modern-day indie adaptation of Shakespeare's Henry IV and Henry V plays, starring River Phoenix and 30-pop royalty Keanu Reeves, My Own Private Idaho. Oh, 
always know where I am by the way the road looks. Like I just know that I've been here before. I just know that I've been stuck here. Mike? I'm extremely excited. Don't worry. Everything's going to be all right. You men make yourselves comfortable. I'll be right back. She's cool because it takes her a little while to get warmed up. It's normal, nothing kinky. <laughs> Where is my son, Scott? We don't know, sir. Hey, Mike, how long have I been here on the streets on this crusade? It's been three years, Mike. Yeah, almost four years. That's a long time. And then I have to think of you and what a degenerate you are. Don't think that, Father. Hey, Mike! Mike, over here! River Phoenix. If I had a normal family and a good upbringing, then I would have been a well-adjusted person. Depends on what you call normal. Well, you know, normal, like, like a mom and a dad and a dog. So you didn't have a normal dog? Keanu Reeves. When I turn 21, I don't want any more of this life. I will change when everybody expects it the least. From the director of Drugstore Cowboy. This road will never end. It probably goes all around the world. My own private Idaho. All in, my own private Idaho saw a return of $6.4 million at the box office and was almost universally revered by critics, largely because of the performances of Reeves and Phoenix. Conversely, the new release that claimed the top spot at the box office this week in 1991 was almost universally disliked by critics. Danny DeVito in Other People's Money. Take a good one, Elton. The stock is up another point in the hell. They call him Larry the Liquidator. Up two points. Up two points. He's a man who makes deals. Whoever has the most when he dies wins. Look, it's the American way. He's like something out of a comic book. Is there a Dunkin' Donuts in this town? I'm thinking about the donuts. Donuts? What's the matter? You're not interested in donuts? A man who stands alone. He now owns 12% of us. It's called a corporate takeover. I'm not going to commit suicide. Don't think of it as suicide. Ugh. Think of it as euthanasia. A man with no equal. Financial News Network, here we come. Until now. Wow, I came to talk. Oof. Well, that's trouble. Lawyers want to talk. Nothing but trouble. Garfield's a blatant sexist. Talk nice. Give me a best smile. Get me my barber, give me my manicures. This is your game. Winner takes all. <sighs> what a woman. Danny DeVito. I take from the rich and I give to the middle class. Well, the upper middle class. Would you care for some caviar? Gregory Peck. Let's kick his ass all the way back to Wall Street. 
Penelope Ann Miller. They'll be studying you at the Wharton School. They'll call it the Garfield era. Has a nice ring to it. In a Norman Jewison film, Other People's Money. And everybody on Wall Street's gonna know some broad did you win. Oh, it's so perfect for me. I did a fair amount of research on this movie in preparation for this episode and was interested to learn that there is basically nothing interesting about this movie. At all. I mean, it made $25 million worldwide, but I couldn't find any details about the budget, so I don't even know if it was profitable or not. And very genuinely couldn't care less, even though I do really like Danny DeVito for some odd reason. The movie I'm most excited to get into, though, the dramatic epic that cost a mere $6 million to produce and saw a whopping return of just barely $1 million, despite having one of the biggest names in pop culture at the time in the leading role, a movie I genuinely love so much and have watched in its entirety no fewer than three times in the last calendar year. Cool as Ice, starring Vanilla Ice. Their values are from the 50s. Their homes are from the 60s. And their music is from the 70s. Well, let's start chasing. So, are we having fun yet or what? But now, this sleepy little town is about to become cool as ice. Drop it. What the hell is that? Drop that zero and get with the hero. You are the girl for me. See you later, Dick. It's Nick. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nick. Sometimes I'd like to do something really wild just because I never have. If you ain't true to yourself, then you ain't true to nobody. Your love can take me higher. I want you to stay away from him. He's not what you think he is. My brother's been kidnapped. What we want, Jim, is a little collection on an old IOU. You're the eye, and with you. You're all wrong. You didn't do anything. Come on, get on. How can you know that, Catherine? I trust him, Dad. Vanilla Ice is going to take an uncool world and kill it to the bone. Well, I hope you like being a biker chick because you're not going to see me or my car again. Imagine that. From Universal Pictures, Cool as Ice. Friends, if you've never seen this cinematic jewel, then I don't know what you're doing listening to this show. You need to press pause, go find the movie, indulge yourself for approximately 91 minutes of pure grade A hip-hop humiliation, and then come back and enjoy the rest of the show. This movie is so, so, so bad, you can't help but love it. How they drew in some of the actors they did is a mystery to me. Former 30 Pop guest Michael Gross, best known for his roles in Family Ties and Tremors, plays the father of Ice's love interest in the film, Kathy. And Kathy is played by Kelly Minter, who less than a year earlier was enjoying months of box office success with her minor role in Home Alone. She's the sister who miscounts the kids in the van. But get this. According to IMDb.com, Lisa Marie Presley, Winona Ryder, Jennifer Connelly, Drew Barrymore, Shannon Doherty, Jennifer Aniston, Uma Thurman, 
Martha Plimpton, Courtney Cox, Jenny Garth, and Tori Spelling all turned down the role of Kathy. Gwyneth Paltrow almost took the role until her father advised against it. Unbelievable. I wish nothing more than that we could all rent out a big theater and watch this garbage movie together. I promise you, you'd love it. I actually made my wife and her family watch it a couple months back while we were on vacation. I did it as a joke, confident they wouldn't last more than five minutes. But we watched the whole thing, and they loved it, and we're still talking about it the next day. It's that good, friends. In fact, it seems only fitting as we wrap up another episode of 30 Pop that I should leave you with a little wisdom from Vanilla Ice's character in the movie, Johnny Van Owen. I'll be back next week, friends. Until then, remember, it's not where you're from, it's where you're at. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Braun. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill U Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 30 years ago that you want to share, leave a message on the answering machine at 30pop.com. <laughs>